Some final thoughts on that uh, comeback, almost comeback against Texas, a loss for TCU ultimately, but some encouraging things. We'll discuss that coming up next. Also, uh, the rivalry, Baylor-TC rivalry has an official name, the Blue Bonnet Battle. We'll break that down. What's the QB situation look like going into next year for the Frogs? And TCU basketball, men are back in action tonight. The women are 3-0 and and landed a big time uh, recruiting the transfer portal. All that coming up here on Lockdown Horn Frogs. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. That's right, Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. I'm your host, Stephen Simcox. I subscribe to the YouTube channel. Locked on Horn Frogs YouTube channel, excuse me. Uh, also, subscribe where you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcast, whatever it might be. Rate and review the show. Thank you for listening. It's Tuesday. We're getting ready for Baylor this week. Uh, the rivalry, the revivalry, as it was unofficially called, has an official name now, the Blue Bonnet Battle. We'll talk about that later in the show. But I want to go back to the Texas game for a moment. Frogs fall 29 to 26, had a furious comeback in the second half, really in the fourth quarter. I mean, the third quarter. They moved the ball a little bit, got actually inside the 10-yard line, couldn't score a touchdown. Um, but they scored 20 points in the fourth quarter. They outscored Texas 20-3. to three. They cut that lead to three points, had an opportunity to get the football back and win it, but couldn't get Texas off the field on a third and 12. Um, overall, a lot of good things. I mean, I think I should say Texas has sort of done this the last few weeks. This is the third game in a row. Uh, had similar issues against Houston. Now, Quinn Ewers went down in this game. And that game, um, Malik Murphy started against Kansas State. They got it to a big lead, sort of faded down the stretch, had some turnovers. But I thought TCU played probably their best half of football in the second half of the game. And I think overall their energy and effort was consistent across the board all game long. They just made silly mistakes, you know, in the first half of that ball game. Had kind of an unlucky situation with Miller Bradford getting stripped. He just didn't tuck the ball away properly after picking off Quinn Ewers. And ends up getting chased down from behind and getting the ball knocked out, um, which, I mean, that was a, a huge turnover in the moment because they were down 7-6. And you would think they at least get a field goal there. They would have been a really good field position. Maybe you break through and score a touchdown um, and take a lead in the first half. But after Texas went down and scored and finally broke through and scored a touchdown, things just sort of unraveled. Josh Huber had a really bad interception right before halftime. Texas scored quickly, so it went from 19 to 6 to 26 to 6 in, you know, a moment there. And that was a big change going into locker room. But the team, they didn't completely fold. I mean, they could have come out and just let Texas run all over them and lose the football game by a, a big margin. But they, you know, they started playing better. They finally uh, broke through it, and Monty Bailey got a touchdown. I thought Kendall Bryles did some – Nice things in the play calling in the second half to protect its offensive line a little bit more. I felt like the interior of that O-line, um, not that they, you know, shirt up things completely, but they put up a little more of a fight against Byron Murphy and Devondre Sweat. Somebody asked me, like, uh, why the interior line was so bad on Saturday. I mean, what I would say is I don't think they were that much worse than they typically have been. Um, I just feel like, Texas has some dudes in the middle of that defensive line. And with Murphy and Sweat especially, they're going to be probably day one, day two NFL draft picks. And so the issues that TCU has had on the O-line were heightened 
because those guys are so good. And, uh, you know, they feasted against a, a team that was that was struggling up front. And so that was really the the big key or the thing that happened in that football game that made it look worse than it was. Uh, Tommy Fisher said, I'm proud of the Frogs and how they played. I knew they had it in them. I'm just kind of disappointed it took this long for us to see them play somewhat close to their potential. I'm sad they lost because I thought this was their best performance thus far. Made some mistakes and ended up costing them, and the rest were bad. Savion showed us who he can be, and I really hope he comes back because he has something with Hoover. And he said Hoover showed him a lot as well. He's hoping he can clean some things up going into next season. Um, Savion was great, and I feel like as the years progressed, we've had this question that has been up in the air all season long, and I feel like with the quarterback change, it, it sort of – shifted even more and we, we didn't get a lot of clarity but Savion has shown that he is the guy like if you're talking about who's going to be the alpha in that receiver room we thought maybe it could be Jalen Robinson uh, maybe Dalen Wright JP Richardson and JP's been consistent when he's been healthy pretty much all year long but when Savion's healthy and focused and on his game he's clearly the best receiver on this team which is good news and to Tommy's point I don't know where his mindset is going into next year I would love for him to come back he feels like a guy that could – like if he comes into camp, you know, with with no distractions, ready to rock and roll and ready to play, then I think the, the sky's the limit for him. Um, but – and I know Savion had a family situation that he was dealing with early in camp, and that's paramount and that's priority number one. And I, I didn't mean in any way to act like that was something that, you know, should, shouldn't have held him back because um, – Anyway, like he had he had legitimate reasons as to why he missed some practice time and all that. But I feel like if he comes back and, you know, he has an opportunity to go through spring ball and fall camp and, and get prepped for the season, then he has a chance to have a huge breakout year. Um, I don't know what his mindset's going to be, though. I mean, he's got great physical gifts. So I could see him thinking, OK, I'm going to go try, test out the NFL waters and see what happens. Uh, but if he is back next season, I think that'd be great news for this football team. And he could be your go-to guy next year, regardless of who the quarterback ends up being. Because he's a complete receiver in the fact that, you know, he doesn't necessarily have, like, game-breaking speed, but he runs really wet. Like, he runs really angry, which I appreciate. He's good at breaking tackles. He'll put his head down a good extra yardage. And he's done really nice things with, you know, the screen game and, and some of the quick passing game when they've used him. Um, the downfield passing threat just as a team has not been there this year. You know, he had some opportunities against Texas Tech. Hoover just couldn't connect with him. Uh, and they ran a really nice play. I think it was the second or third possession of that game where they ran play action and everybody really sold it well. You know, we're okay, we're running to the left. All the linemen are moving that way. And then Josh did like a naked bootleg out to the other side. And they had Savion coming across the formation and they hit him and that looked really good. Uh, and so I think there's some fun ways that you could use him as a wide receiver next season if he didn't end up coming back. But um, I loved what I saw from him against Texas. I, my The thing that uh, that hurts me about all this, hurt might be the wrong word, but the thing I'm disappointed about is it's week 10. And I agree with you, Tommy, and I agree with a lot of the audience that told me, like, I thought this was the best they played. I agree with you. I wish they could have found a way to win because – it, that could have been like a signature moment for this football team. But it's hard to build on things in week 10 when you only got two more games left. Now, Sonny seemed fired up in the press conference. I know he said he he's ready for the Baylor game. He hopes they can play with that type of intensity and fire 
this upcoming week. And then you go, you have a great opportunity to go – if you win this week, you have a great opportunity to go play Oklahoma on Black Friday with a chance to get to the postseason. And if you could win that, that would be huge. Um, but I would just feel a lot better if it was like – if this happened like in week five, right? And you saw, okay, this is this is potentially what they are. They almost took down a top ten team. Now you got the rest of the season to – um, get better and improve and build on that. But it's just – it's so late in the year now. There's still games to be played. There's still opportunities. Uh, I just hate that it feels like we're we're finally seeing a glimpse of who they could be. Um, and I think the Tech, the Tech game – the Tech game was disappointing because they lost to a team I thought they should have beat. And I feel like most people thought that should have and could have been a TCU win going into the game. And so you just came away angry and upset. And again, I mean, silly mistakes held them back against Texas. It held them back against Texas Tech. But I thought, you know, effort, energy, all that was much better on the road in Lubbock. And then you saw a continuation of that. Um, but you got a lot of young guys playing right now, and you have a team that just hasn't hasn't been able to fully put it together, even in a week where they played well. You know, there were still some things that they left on the table and uh, couldn't find a way to overcome it. But – Good stuff overall, and, you know, you still got two more opportunities to play, and if you win those last two games, you'll you'll give yourself a chance to practice for a few more weeks and play in a bowl game. Um, it's rivalry week. It's Blue Bonnet Battle Week. We'll talk about that next. I also want to get into uh, – I've been thinking a lot about these coordinator positions and where they are and what, they, what decisions they have to make, and I, I sort of have a new perspective – on Joe Gillespie. And I want to talk about that next. It's Locked Out Horn Frogs. Jace Medical. Uh, we are happy that they're sponsors here on the Locked On Network. We talk a lot about emergency preparedness with Jace Medical. And that's true. That's something that they afford you uh, the luxury of having with their Jace case. You don't want to be in a tough situation. But if you are, um, then you can count on Jace Medical. that They have five life-saving antibiotics. And you can order your Jace case today at jacemedical.com. They also now have the option for you to get daily medications uh, through the Jace Medical System. And so go to their website, jacemedical.com, and find out if that's an option for you. Um, jacemedical.com promo code is locked on and get $20 off your first order. Again, that Jace case, five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All you have to do is fill out a small online form, jump on a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians. You can get ongoing care from their physicians or any treatment-related questions, doctor-created, doctor-recommended. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected or just in the day-to-day. Jace handles everything from online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Uh, JaceMedical.com, that promo code is locked on. To get $20 off your first purchase, go there, buy a Jace case today. Be ready if you need help or just be ready for medical treatment in the day-to-day in your day-to-day life. So Baylor and TCU held a press conference on Monday, and they announced that this game, that this week will be the 119th meeting between the two schools. TCU leads the series 58 to 53. There have been seven ties throughout the history of the league or throughout this uh, series between these two teams. It's unofficially been branded the Revivalry, which is a great name. I love that name. The student government of TCU and the student government of Baylor have gotten together, and they came up with a new name for the Rivalry. 
It's going to be called the Blue Bonnet Battle. Don't love that name, but that's what they're going to call it, the Blue Bonnet Battle. And uh, this weekend, for the first time, there will be a trophy between the two schools that we played for. Here's a picture of it. The Blue Bonnet Battle, established in 1899. If you're watching on YouTube, you see this. They got the Baylor and TCU logos, the state of Texas emblem, and Blue Bonnet flowers on the side. I saw Nikki Collin, the Baylor women's basketball coach. She said, it just doesn't sound that tough. And that's my thing, too. It just it doesn't sound cool. It doesn't sound intimidating. I mean, I get the connection. It's a Texas-based rivalry. It's a state flower. I understand all that. But it's hard for me to get excited about the Blue Bonnet Battle. I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts in the YouTube comments. You can tweet at me, at Steven. Like, what other name should we go with? If we were going to go with, like, a lame, uninspiring name, uh, Shiplap Super Bowl. How about that? A tip to the cap to the Magnolia Bunch. Um, I, I just, like, I don't like – I don't like Blue Bonnet Battle. And I'm not sure why they couldn't just stick with rivalry. I'm sure there were a lot of, uh, a lot of people involved. My mom's a Baylor grad. And she told me I need to stop being mean to the student government folks, that they're just trying to do something fun and cool and come up with a great name for a, a fun rivalry. Uh, but I'm just not – I'm not loving it. I'm not digging it. I'm not a fan of the Blue Bonnet Battle name change, but that's apparently what they're going to refer to it as um, as it gets underway at 2.30 on ESPN Plus at Eamon G. Carter Stadium. Um this is a really good rivalry, though, and it's unfortunate that both teams – it's been a while since both these teams have been good at the same time. And I think that's affected, you know, obviously the national interest, but I feel like it's also just affected how much the fan bases get up for the football game because Baylor's 3-7, and seven, TCU's 4-6. and six. But Baylor's struggling big time. I mean, they just got beat by K-State, and nobody – Nobody makes you look worse if you're a bad team than Kansas State. We saw this happen to TCU when they went up there because they just they don't make mistakes. They don't beat themselves. They feast off teams that uh, have self-inflicted wounds and don't do the little things well uh, and are not fundamentally sound. <clears throat> and this is a Baylor team that checks all those boxes as well. So I'm not sure what to expect. The line opened up is, with TCU as 14-point favorites. I mean, I'm going to pick TCU to win the game. I think 14 is a lot of points. It's been a while since TC put a beat down like that on anybody. I guess BYU when they won that game. And then they also had, you know, pretty lopsided, lopsided victories against Houston and, and uh, SMU. Um, so I could see it happening, but they're going to have to cut down on these, you know, turnovers and missed opportunities, need to score in the red zone. The Baylor defense has struggled this year. Um, their offense with Blake Shapin hasn't been very dynamic. They don't have great skill talent, even though they found a running back in Dawson Pendergrass sort of midway through the season who's done some nice things for him. But, yeah, the Blue Bonnet battle, get ready for it, folks. Uh, huge matchup between these two schools. And here's the trophy. If you're watching on YouTube, this is what you're playing for. Uh, this is what people will be hoisting above their head after the games. Now, Jeff Craig, my friend Jeff Craig was like, I would rather play for this than the skillet. I think the skillet's kind of cool. But, yeah, I understand, you know, it, it just looks so generic. I mean, there's not – like the cool thing about college football rivalries, the battle for the saddle is great between Texas Tech and TCU because it's just a, a unique trophy. Um, And this just looks like something you could buy at Hobby Lobby like or Michael's. I mean, it's just – 
it's not it's not unique. It looks very corporate and kind of sterile. I don't know. I'm not digging it. But Blue Bonnet Battle happened this week. Um, I was really impressed with what TCU did defensively against Texas. Now, they gave up some touchdowns in the second quarter that um, were sort of the difference in the game. You know, that stretch in the second quarter where Texas pulled away, it ultimately led to too big of a lead for TCU to overcome. But for a front seven that struggled all year, I thought they did well against a run game that's been cooking. I mean, Jonathan Brooks is like the leading rusher in the nation going into this, going into that game. And unfortunately, he tore his ACL against DCU, which stinks because he's a great player. And I, I was sorry to see that. Um, and he went out about midway through the fourth quarter. And so that changed the game to a certain extent. But, I mean, even when he was in the ball game, TCU was able to slow down this Texas team um, – fairly often you know they had that big screen pass in their second drive that led to a touchdown and yes i saw the i saw the replay i know there was a block in the back on shad banks on that play but um that was i mean and they had some explosives with xavier worthy but overall i thought they limited big plays i thought they played solid football you know they had the turnover that ended up not being a turnover um but i was impressed with what they did and if, if TCU decides to move on from Joe Gillespie at the end of the season, I'll understand it. Like, I get it. It's been two years. This is nowhere near what I would call a dominant defense. People have, you know, been on my case a lot this year for my supposed, like, defense of him, even though the defense has struggled. But I'll say this. This team's going to have to play complimentary football to be successful. They did that two seasons ago. They haven't done that this year. And I know people are frustrated with 3-3-5 and not bringing enough pressure, but I think this is a defense and a scheme that is supposed to be paired with a robust offense. Like, it's a defense that's supposed to – not supposed to, but is okay with allowing yardage, is okay with allowing some longer drives as long as you can get stops in plus territory or in the red zone and force field goals, maybe force a few turnovers, get a few key stops when you have to. And it's supposed to be complemented with an offense that can consistently score and put up points and be effective. And in fairness to Joe, Joe Gillespie, that's what Sonny Dykes has done his entire career. His offense has not done that this year. So, yeah, like the defense has had some bad games. The Colorado game, that loss was mostly on them. If they could find a way to just come up with one or two more stops, TC wins that game. Um. Kansas State, I mean, both sides of the ball were bad. All three phases were bad. But they gave up 41 points. Texas Tech, ultimately, can't give up 35 points. But like West Virginia, Iowa State, I felt like those games were more on the offense just continually putting them in bad situations. Um, You know, this week against Texas, they're the first team all year to hold Texas under 30 points. Now, it was 29, so it's not like they held them a crazy amount under their average, but still. Like, they were effective. And it was a game that TCU could have won. And so if they want to move on from Joe, that's fine, and, and go to a different scheme, go to a different formula. But I feel like he's been left out to dry by an offense that is supposed to be the identity of this football team and that's not functioning like it should. So some tough decisions to make for Sonny Dykes this offseason. When we come back, I want to briefly talk about the QB situation and then – uh, if we have time, we'll get into some basketball. It's Locked Out Horn Frogs, your team every day. LinkedIn jobs, it's where you need to go if you're hiring people. LinkedIn.com. 
uh, slash locked on, and you can post your job for free today. LinkedIn.com slash locked on college. Excuse me. Post your job for free there. LinkedIn's the best place to go if you need to hire folks. Everybody knows about LinkedIn. It's where you go to find work, right? So post your job there, cast a wide net, get all the different you know resumes and applications that you need. And then LinkedIn has screening questions, simple tools that allow you to weed it down so that you're not sifting through 5,000 resumes for, you know, one, one job opening. Uh, it's a high stakes wager when you're hiring for your small business. You want to get the right people that fit in with what you're doing and that can be dependable and do, and do the job well. And it starts with LinkedIn. LinkedIn.com slash Lockdown College. Post your job for free there. LinkedIn, they're the leader in job performance. LinkedIn.com slash Lockdown College. So before we go, I want to talk about Josh Hoover. Um, it's It's been an up and down few weeks for him, which is what you expect with a young quarterback. <clears throat> but honestly, the turnovers have to get cleaned up. You know, that's, that's the obvious thing that you can't throw picks each and every week. And he's throwing some bad ones. I mean, that interception against Texas Tech, when you're down near your own goal line, you're up by a point, and it feels like you are finally got some momentum and you can go in that football game. Can't happen. The interception against uh, Texas late in the first half when, you know, I get it, you're trying to score. Your offense hasn't really done much in, in the first half of the ball game. Looked like he was sort of forcing the issue, trying to make something happen, and just floats one up there and it gets picked off. It leads to another touchdown. And you saw Sonny Dykes pull him aside there and be like, hey, this like this like these are the type of decisions that you can't make. But I think he sees the field well. I think he's dynamic and throwing the ball. And I feel like there's a, a high ceiling for him. So I don't know what's going to happen this offseason. I mean, Chandler Morris, I don't have any inside information. Um, he's got eligibility left. He could come back. Or he could hit the portal. I'm not sure which one's more likely. If I had to guess today, I would say, you know, I would lean towards him hitting the portal, but I don't know that. I don't know where the coaching staff is. I still don't know how healthy he is. Um, Sonny Dyke says he's available to play, but I'm not sure if that, I'm, I don't know what that means, you know, in context. I don't know if it's like, yeah, Chandler's hundred percent. We just kind of want to see what Josh can do. Or if it's like, we're still kind of concerned about where he's at. And so we're not going to bring him back until he's fully ready to go. Um, for Josh next season, I don't think he's done enough to be the unquestioned starter going into next year. I feel like TC is going to have to go on the portal and find an experienced quarterback. Now, the issue with that is this is what they ran into last year. If you have a clear front runner, then it's hard to land somebody in the portal because if you're a quarterback and you're leaving a school, you're leaving a school because you want to go play somewhere. And I mean, maybe you don't go as far as have the coaching staff promise you that you're going to get playing time and be the starter, but you at least want to know that, it's a clear competition that's competition you could win even if you showed up like at the beginning of fall camp. Last season, I think with Chandler, I don't feel like the coaching staff went out of their way to say this, but I I just believe that most quarterbacks that were interested looked at the situation and said, yeah, it seems like that's their guy. It seems like Chandler Morris is their guy, and so I'm not going to come here and sit on the bench for another season or two seasons potentially. Um, I would love for Josh to have like a signature moment before the year's over. And I think, 
I think it could be just playing really well against Baylor and winning this game comfortably. The big one would be if, if they could go on the road and beat Oklahoma and he plays well and he's a big part of that, then that gives you a lot of hope going into next season if he's going to be the guy that takes the reins. I feel like this also affects what you do with your coordinator. Like, you have to make a decision quickly about Kendall Bryles. Do you want to give him more time? Because if you do, then it seems like Josh Hoover is comfortable in this offense. You could bring in another quarterback who has some familiarity with it, and you could have an open competition and see where you stand. And you'll have all spring ball and all fall camp to figure that out. If you're going to move on, then there's going to be some fallout there. There'll be some, you know, just natural attrition. And then whoever you hire will have control over, you know, what kind of offense they want to run. And then you're kind of back up to the drawing board and you're sort of back to square one from a quarterback standpoint. I think all those options are fine. You just have to be decisive about it and move quickly. Um, But Josh still has two more weeks here, assuming that Chandler doesn't get back in his traditional role to show what he's got and show this coaching staff whether or not he can be the guy moving forward. Uh, TCU basketball tonight. The men play UT Rio Grande Valley. Um, they're coming off a victory against Omaha, 82-60. to 60. UT Rio Grande Valley, that game at 7 o'clock. I'd love to see more from Ernest Udaya tonight. You know, he's been in foul trouble. Haven't really had a chance to watch him play much yet. So we'd like to get a chance to see him play a little bit more. Um, Jameer Nelson Jr. Uh, has been good. Micah Peavy's been really good. He looks confident on offense. This seems like a deep basketball team. I mean, we won't really know until December because that's when they play Georgetown and Clemson and a a few more of their tougher non-conference games. But uh, looking effective at the moment and really good stuff from Jamie Dixon and this team. The TCU women are 3-0. They beat Rice 67-42 the other night, and Rice was a tournament team last season. Madison Connor is the big-time scorer for the Frogs. 30 points against Oral Roberts. 22 against Texas A&M Kingsville, and then 19 against Rice. She's been the leading scorer in all their games. Sedona Prince has been great. She's had a double-double in every game so far. Jaden Owens, their point guard, is distributing the ball well. They also picked up a commitment from Haley Cavender, guard from Miami, who averaged 12 points a game last season. And if you're familiar with that name, Haley and her sister, the Cavender twins, are very popular on social media. They uh, went viral and got famous on TikTok during the pandemic. They were guards at Fresno State at the time. Then they transferred to uh, Miami. And then after the season at Miami, they both said they were leaving basketball and they were going to pursue, you know, whatever was next for them. Um, I believe they had a deal with like WWE and they were exploring going into uh, the um, like wrestling space, pro wrestling space. But uh, Hannah is is done with playing collegiate basketball, it appears. Haley, after, I guess, looking at her options, decided she was going to re-enter the portal, and she's committed now to TCU. So I, I saw Jamie Plunkett from Hornflog Blitz say that it's it's very unlikely that she would play this season. She'd have to get a waiver from the NCAA, which doesn't seem like it would happen, but should be available to play next season. Um, and is another big-time scorer for Mark Campbell's team. He's doing – Really good work in the portal since he took over last season. Uh, this is Locked on Horn Frog. It's your team every day. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. We'll get you ready for the Blue Bonnet Battle this week.